to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account for this unrepresentative swell over there. Welcome back to the Unrepresentative School Podcast. Today, I have Nick and Nick once again on the podcast. How's it, how's it going, man? Hello, hello, hello. It's good to be back. Welcome, Nick. Really exciting episode this week. We are going to talk about the wonderful state of Queensland and its importance this federal election. And who better to do that than a local Queenslander uh, in Nick? Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thank you for having me. Greatest state, the Sunshine State. We should just very quickly brush some international news, though. The big one being Roe v. Wade might be overturned, <laughs> which is pretty fucked, I think. It's, a, it's also fucked the manner in which that came out. It was a leak from the US Supreme Court, which is not supposed to happen. I think they're very upset that managed to leak. I mean, when you have a packed right-wing Supreme Court, I mean, what can you expect? Yeah, I mean, again, this is such a invasion of human rights and reproductive rights in general and the argument increasingly being made of like uh the whole killing babies argument is just not at all uh relevant anymore and also this disproportionately affects uh poorer people which is uh people who are most likely to get abortions so good job the u.s once again fucking over poor people for no real reason yeah lots of straight white males are determining what women can do with their body. And let's, you know, just talk about it as white males on this podcast. <laughs> um, I've got one of the ticks. <laughs> yeah. The, what I'll say as well is it's insane that like these, you know, very powerful, influential people, uh, Supreme Court judges, just are willing to just do something that will deepen division so dramatically in that country because it will just increase the divide between those red states and blue states ever more right because all the red states will start to legislate against abortion it's just so destructive right i mean what a what a terrible terrible idea we'll just quickly footnote that one though because we've got so much to cover before we launch into the wonderful state of queensland and its importance in selection why don't we just cover the election generally nick how do you think how do you think the election's been going what are your views uh yeah uh pretty good um yeah no it's been it's been a ride. I think it's shown consistently how the media is favouring the LNP in the majority of the media, um, where we're seeing Albo just continuously getting hounded with gotcha questions um, and ScoMo getting a bit of a free pass, in my opinion. Um, and But I think, I think they're both... I mean, ScoMo traditionally is in his, in his element, being, you know, controlling the situation. And I think Albo's doing his best. He's obviously not the best campaigner he's not the best speaker but I think he's doing a pretty good job I think I think he's getting his name out there and I think he's slowly moving past the you know unknown Albanese who is he kind of thing so yeah uh, sorry Rob me and Rob are sharing a microphone again it's a very it's like improv when we're like looking at cues like looking at who's going to step in yeah no I'll say as well I think you're right and it is ScoMo's element answering questions from these like journos right and he's very good at just like reframing the narrative into what he wants to talk about but I think Albo is maybe getting better because Albo obviously hasn't campaigned as a prime minister in the federal election before or as a potential prime minister I think the 
I mean, I think you also have to give him a slight break because he has just had COVID. Um, and I think, I think obviously he has a history of making gaffes, but I, it, I, I think from what I've heard from the things I've listened to, he is not looking quite on at a hundred percent still. So the, the COVID's kind of still having some effects on him, but I mean, yeah, I think if, if anything, I think this one's a little bit, I know it hasn't actually probably been as impactful as the first gaff, but to me, this one actually was a little bit more, I don't know, come on. I, it still was dumb, but if, if you're going to have a six point plan, maybe, I don't know, maybe you should remember it, but compared to the cash rate or whatever that were first one, which was just stupid to have to remember that. But again, I just think it's dumb. These gotcha questions. Uh, yeah, couldn't agree anymore. Um, and on the other side, so Albo's getting hounded about his six-point plan. On the other side, um, the PM's getting asked more and more about uh, the Solomon issue and also the cash rate rise. Uh, any thoughts on this one, gents? Well, Nick, I know you can speak to the Solomon issue, right? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a bit of a, as Penny Wong was saying, it's a bit of a disaster, really, the whole thing, because it's come out that he hasn't even spoken to the Solomon PM yet. Sogo Vare, and um, Maurice Payne has finally had a meeting with her um, counterpart in the Solomons. But look, there he Sogo Vare, the prime minister, is really, really angry about this whole thing. Um, you know, he's been he he he's been making claims on, on to his parliament. You know that that there's his risk of invasion by Australia. I think craziness, but um, I think I think what they're worried about is if the situation, like let's say, there's an uprising or something. Um, Australia has in the past sent troops in to help stabilise the situation. And if they do that, then it's looking like you are invading or whatever. So I think Australia's worried about this getting out of um, out of control. But ScoMo, when asked about it, he did say very, in his very ScoMo way, you know, I'm advised by, you know, for national security, this is what I'm supposed to do. I can't talk to the leader. But you've got to think that's pretty disappointing that you can't even go and pick up the phone and talk to this guy. Like, I don't know, come on. Yeah, and this was all in the context of that um, that security arrangement between the Solomon Islands and China, right? Which we don't know the exact details of yet uh, that leaked uh, that this deal was going to be signed a few weeks ago and it became a big news story. Um, I mean, it just shows, right? Like, I'm surprised. Uh, I just... It shows that the coalition on foreign policy is really like, you know, it's, it's, it's not their strongest point right even though allegedly they're strong on china national security in the economy is not holding up too well for them at the moment exactly yeah and you know talk about the economy we missed this last week rob we just had so much to talk about but the cash rate did in fact uh increase to 0.35 percent i believe yeah so the rba changed that last week which is a big deal obviously because it was at its lowest low during the pandemic for obvious reasons and they've raised it based on an increase in inflation and the idea that the economy is like heating up right um you need to increase the cash rate to slow it down a bit uh and it's generally a sign well it's interesting because people are viewing this as a sign that the economy is like not doing well um and you know it's a it's a weakness of the government per se i mean traditionally though rob right you know this if the cash rate is going up it means the economy is going really well right so like how do you reconcile that so the, the two things with this cash rate rise, which is different to rises we saw in the mid-2000s amongst the mining boom, is that the inflation we're seeing right now is largely cost-driven rather than demand-driven, which um, speaks to the fact that um, 
costs of everything is going up across the economy. This is notable in fuel, and that's just multiplying throughout the economy due to the war in Ukraine is the most common uh, answer given here. And another thing is a lot of people have gone into mortgages with the expectation that cash rate will remain this low. And this is going to fuck over a lot of uh, homeowners, particularly uh, first home buyers. So it'll be very interesting to see how uh, this rate rise affects um, the economy overall and also this election in general. And I guess it's been interesting to see the differing in responses between the two parties to this um, because Scott Morrison has come out pretty much saying like, look, people kind of saw this was coming. Everyone's been moving into fixed term mortgages. We've given them $250 if you're on a concession card, you know, all this stuff they've been doing, but it's pretty much it's on you where we're out. Um, where Labor just, you know, has announced, I don't know if you talked about it last week, but the um, their their plan to um, split ownership, the shared equity plan over new houses. Um, so they're really looking at ways to help people get through this, make it easier for people on low incomes to buy a house versus a kind of, well, you're on your own, which is the Liberals' position at the moment. Yeah, and absolutely. I think the the really good part of this for Labor is it's a it all speaks to this cost of living issue which is i think a real weakness for the government right now because of as rob said all these like you know novel supply issues of like increases in fuel prices and stuff the fact that real wages haven't increased for a long time i think they're only predicted now by treasury to increase in late 2023 which is yeah, i don't even think it's a real sense i think it's a nominal sense so that's pretty stupid and i think like it's growth is predicted to be less than inflation or something wasn't it I don't know. I, I don't have a full economics degree. I'm like you guys, so I can't <laughs> uh, speak to My full to it. economics degree is worth so much. <laughs> I definitely remember everything. Um, no, but like, and inflation as well, right? The rising prices generally will make people feel the pinch. And put on top of that, people have been complaining for so long that NDIS and New Start or Job Seeker or whatever it's called now has been so low for so long. And it's just really not at the level where people can actually like on social support can actually live with that amount yeah. in this in this economic uh, condition, right? And on NDIS, like under Liberal, since it was put forward by Labor, um, it's just been consistently underfunded and prices have been going up. Um, and it's coming to a point where people, aren't, like people with disabilities don't have enough money um, from the NDS to support programs and then providers don't have enough money to put on programs. So you're seeing a loss of programs by providers because they can't get enough money from the clients which has been capped by the government. So you've got a capped free market system that limits what the providers can charge, but um, expects them to put on a service with no extra money. Uh, So amongst all these issues, uh, we saw last night the leaders debate, which as as seems to be the trend of the modern um, leaders debate was a complete shit show. And as seems to be another trend of leaders debate, no one, no young person watched I was it. Say, we they definitely knew it was watched it. Be a shit show. Definitely tuned in. I was drunk at the time um, that it was occurring. <laughs> I was uh, scaling a fish. <laughs> also, a great activity. Uh, but the the voting system broke, right? Yeah. <laughs> Good on you, Channel Nine. They um, yeah. The first, they, I think they they put it up online, and I, I went on to vote um for Labor winning, even though I wasn't watching. But yeah, it had crashed. So, first of all, they said ScoMo won, and then they changed it to Albo, and now they've said 50-50. So, that seems like a pretty easy way out for them. But, um, yeah, I think it was 60-second answers, and it was just interjections constantly talking over each other. Moderate. I think it was just a complete shambles, which is the way when you don't have it run by your public broadcaster. 
Yeah, obviously it's very bad on ScoMo's part that he's refusing basically to do one on ABC. Uh, obviously, the coalition does hates the ABC because they do you know genuine reporting. Um, so that's I mean really awful, right? I think if anything, the Sky News one was actually probably better because it actually allowed them to actually talk about. I know I'm saying Sky News oh better, God, but Sky Jesus, better. Murdoch better than Nine. But anyway. Uh, so, what are the major talking points from the debate uh, that we've seen? Uh, anyone? <laughs> I mean, so, ScoMo brought up religious discrimination again. I don't know if that was in the debate per se. Um, I This is the thing we were talking about before the show. I have no idea why he would bring that up. I, I literally, I think he's a moron, right? And whoever is doing his politics in his office, you know, whoever's doing the campaign strategy... I, I just, it's unfathomable why they think that would be a good idea to bring that up. Because, like, what votes are you going to get with, like, focusing on this religious discrimination bill? Maybe some votes from, you know, super Christian voters who, I take it, are quite upset that SCOMA actually didn't deliver on that bill. But the cost of bringing this up when you're facing so many challenges in by these teal independents and your small L liberal traditional voters are very upset with the government just seems so high to the point where, like, this can't be a, a good political move, right? Yeah, and it, he's also doubled down on the ICAC, um, you know, this fighting against a corruption commission. And again, similar to that, I just don't know why he thinks it's a good strategy because even in regional seats, I don't... Th- obviously, there'll be some voters that the Religious Discrimination Act is positive for, but I just don't think it's a huge thing on voters' minds at the moment. And all he's doing is annoying people in teal seats, as you're saying. And the same with ICAC. I think everyone in all seats of Australia like the idea of their, their, their government having some degree of accountability. I don't think you need to be a raving lefty or someone in a teal independent seat. So I don't know why he keeps coming back on this kangaroo court, you know, public autocracy, this on the ICAC idea. It, it just is beyond me why he's self-sabotaging his own seats. I just, it's on climate change as well. Not necessarily ScoMo, but just the the coalition, right? You got like Matt Canavan saying it's dead in the net zero by twenty fifty is dead in the water, and it just does so much damage to these. What, what did you say? was that? Not Matt Canavan. Well, no, it's Matt Proud Aussie Canavan. Thank oh. you. <laughs> it just does so much damage to like. Yeah, I, I listened to a debate between Kate Cheney, um, the teal independent, independent running in my seat of Curtin, and Celia Hammond. And Kate can just easily go out and say, look, the Liberal Party are, are, are in chaos on this issue. Look at what Matt Canavan said. And Celia has to try and defend that. And it's just so difficult to defend, right? They just like, they have to get their messaging straight. And they, clearly it's very difficult for them. At this point, I honestly almost feel sorry for Josh Frydenberg and like um, Tim Wilson and um, Dave Sharma because they're really just being thrown under the bus. Like, obviously he's not going to their seats because I don't think he's overly welcome, ScoMo, but... You'd think he'd give them a bit of rope, like just a little bit to be able to survive. But they're, they're really just, yeah, I think it's on their last legs, liberals in the inner city. They're facing the problem Labor had, you know, 10 years ago with this difference between the traditional heartland seats and the growing progressive seats. And I don't think it's going to be solved for them for a while. Yeah, it's actually a really good point to compare it because that's like what the problem you saw um, with the UK Labor um, last general election they had where it's like the, the, all the traditional voters just fucked off because yeah. they didn't care for the big social agenda that Labor had. Um, let's talk about Queensland though, guys. I mean, what you know, the crucial state in the 2019 election and uh, how good is Queensland? <laughs> exactly, right? And just a super stronghold for the coalition. So they hold 
between the Libs and the Nats, 23 seats, and Labor holds only six. Which <laughs> and, and we have some lovely characters in Queensland, such as Pauline Hanson, Clive Palmer, Bob Catter. The list goes on, really. Um, but, yeah, um, on that, Brisbane uh, being the, like, so Queensland's the most decentralised state in Australia. I know you're, you and WA like talking about how big you are, but we have... 40, not only 49% of the population in the capital city, which is compared to about 68% on average in all the other capital cities. Um, and we've got major uh, centres up the coast. So Brisbane has a population of around 2 million. Um, then really you just got to add in Gold Coast, 500,000, Sunshine Coast, 300,000, Ipswich, Toowoomba, around 100, 200,000. And then up the coast, you've got Cairns, Mackay, Rockhampton, all with, you know, around 100,000. So makes the population of some of the like regional areas in WA look tiny. And so for that reason, hence why there's so many like seats that are um, regional and that's really leads to why Queensland is so hard for labor really to get a foothold. However, the story is quite different on a state level. I don't know if you want me to go into that, but. Well, the state, the state level is actually really interesting, right? The fact that Palaget has such a, 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 a good footing in Queensland as the state labor premier. I mean, you can speak briefly onto it if you want. Well, yeah, pretty much um, a very brief history lesson. Uh, Queensland really was Australia's only dictatorship for a while there in the past when we had uh, Premier Joby Elke-Peterson and pretty much the state was gerrymandered to be in the Liberal, the um, Nationals really at that point's favour. Um, and once we broke through that time of corruption, it's pretty much led to consistent Labor premiers from the 90s onwards, um, from Wayne Goss, Peter Biddy, Anna Bly and Anastasia Palaget. Apart from the great man Campbell Newman, now, now known for his work on Sky News. Who also is now running for a Senate seat in Queensland for the Australian Democrats or Liberal Democrats or Liberal Democrats. Australian There's Democrats still a aren't party? too bad. Oh, no, no, this is a Liberal. He made a new one. Oh, Not gotcha, the, the Australian gotcha. Democrats aren't too bad. I think it's the Liberal Democrats. Oh, okay, yeah, no. But anyway, course. he's running now on pro guns, anti abortion, all the, you know, standard anti climate oh, yeah. change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he thinks the Liberal Party's gone wayward. He thinks the Liberal Party's yes. gone wayward, but in the opposite direction. Yes, they're, they're, they're too far to the left, in his opinion. But yeah, that's really anyway. in touch with the common person, you know. Anyway, yeah. So in in Queensland, uh, in fact, because uh, on a state level, the LNP struggled so much. Um, the Labor and Nationals are actually combined to be one party. They're not a coalition. They are one party because the Nationals actually have a much bigger presence in Queensland than the Liberals. So while in in every other seat, um, uh, Liberal Party is the senior party and uh, the Nationals are the minor party, it's the other way around in Queensland. So yeah, they're one party in Queensland. But it's it's been very different on a federal level and I think it probably has something to do with the placement of the seats. I don't exactly know. But I wouldn't overstate the Anastasia effect. I, I don't think it's the same as McGowan. Like, I mean, we didn't have a swing like you guys, like a North Korea-style swing. Um, but I, I think the support has been waning. There's been some things around, you know, corrupt, not corruption per se, but, you know, just she's not as rosy as she much, once was. I know they're a legitimate, like, especially around the pandemic and the handling, like, the giving out of government contracts. Uh, I've, I've heard some, yeah, not great things about that government. Yeah, and, like, even... Like, Labor in Queensland, similarly to here, is quite pro-coal because, um, really, that's the only way they can survive. So, I think there's a quite a different of Labor state in Queensland versus Labor federal. So, I don't think you can read into too much. Like, I think, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the traditional way we analyse as well federal politics is the state 
politics doesn't actually matter that much. And like you can see that in the seats as well. Labor only has six seats, right? Yeah. And they were walloped in 2019. And yeah, as we were saying before, that was like, you know, how good is Queensland? That was kind of the deciding factor in the election. Yeah, and the only hold on seats for Labor really have been the inner city um, Labor seats, um, you know, the leafy inner city seats, because they've lost most of the regional seats um, and their traditional heartland kind of seats, you know, like Labor Party started in Queensland. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and like, so what is Labor's move here? I think, you know, obviously they need to win. It's pretty important they win some seats in Queensland. It is possible they don't win any and it's don't possible lose they any. lose seats yeah, it, at this point yeah that's also true it's possible they lose seats as well and you know they definitely don't want to do that they could not gain anything and you know they could make these gains in victoria like we've talked about before wa um, new south wales tassie um but ideally they want to win at least two right but as you said some of these labor seats are held on very thin margins yes yeah, so i don't know do you want me to yeah go on, get, get into it so the most marginal seat um, in Queensland is actually Lily, which is held by Labor. So that's um, Wayne Swan's former seat. And it's like a northern Brisbane kind of seat, still suburban. Um, and actually, literally just recently, break yesterday, the Liberal candidate, um, Vivian Lobo, uh, has just been referred to the federal... What was it? Referred to the Supreme Court or something like that because he forged his um, address in his enrolment. Wow. Yeah, so he actually turns out he doesn't live in the seat of Lily. He lives oh. in the seat of Brisbane. Um, he does have a house, but apparently it's uh, it's it's in it's you know in a state of disrepair. It's abandoned. I think that might be. He said he hasn't had enough time to move in with all of his electoral commitments. That's a pretty big melt. The Libras will be very upset with him for that one. So yeah, I don't know. I would be surprised if that swung. Um, just with because it's being in a city, suburban more a lot of anti. I would imagine anti scomo, but. It's a 1.6% margin, so it's something to worry about. Um, and then for Labor also, they really have to worry about Morton and Griffith, which are kind of like their leafy, inner-city, south-side progressive seats, um, particularly Griffith. There's a, that's, so that's Terry Butler's seat, and that's Kevin Rudd's former seat. There's a really strong Greens presence there. I don't think there's a risk overly of LNP taking the seat. But Max uh, Chandler Mather, who's quite popular, they only need a 3% swing to the Greens in Griffith and, and they take it. Um, and even more worryingly, well, I don't know about worryingly, depending on your opinion, but in the Queensland state election, um, the seat of South Brisbane, which is part of uh, Griffith, actually, which was the uh, Deputy Premier, Jackie Trad's seat, that flipped to the Greens. So Griffith is really made up of kind of... West End is the South Brisbane kind of hippie kind of area where a lot of my friends are from. And then there's a lot of more kind of liberal leaning or wealthy kind of blue ribbon seats that give more of a vote to LNP or even Labor. So it'll be interesting if there's enough from the Greens. I suspect it will stay with Labor, but it's only a 2.9% margin to Labor at the moment. That's like super thin. And we're seeing that trend in Victoria and New South Wales as well, is that Labor is fighting these three corner contests and the Greens are getting some more support every election. Just popping their head up like, hello, we're yeah. here. I mean, you think at some point they, the Greens will start to win some of these seats, right? And that's really bad for Labor. It's really bad for Labor because they really don't want to be, I think Rob's spoken about this before, don't want to be in a, a hung parliament where they're in minority government and have to form a coalition with the Greens. Really don't want that because although you might argue that would be a really good thing in terms of generating good policy if you're someone who is a progressive 
the coalition will tear them to shreds. And, and I think all that work we were saying before, like all the work they've done, Labor's done to distinguish, you know, be able to go say one thing in their traditional working class seats, but also be in the city would be pretty much shattered. The minute they have to go in with the Greens, they lose all those seats probably then to Liberals. So yes, it's good to have Green seats, have progressive opinions, but in the long term, I don't think it's good for progressive politics in well, Australia. That's why, that's why people in Labor really dislike the Greens you know, as much as they yeah. dislike the Libs as well is because it's the idea if, you just, like, if we pulled our resources together, we would just smash the coalition every election. But I mean, that's just not how it works. Um, and speaking of those traditional working class bases, can you tell any, any, us anything about Blair, a semi-rural street uh, seat in Ipswich? I actually don't have a lot of notes on Blair, but I can tell you it's in Ipswich, which is kind of like a, it's a different city to Brisbane. It's like, a, but it's further into the country in the West. Um, and it's kind of a real traditional working class kind of um, labor area. Um, I literally have no notes on it, but um, yeah, it's on a 1.2% margin. And I, I think so the big, thick. the biggest thing there would be the swing away from the progressive kind of labor idea, I think towards the liberals because being less of the inner city, you know, green kind of seat. So, so do you think that one's actually half a chance of falling if labor um, is busy fighting against the greens and the rest of Queensland? I think there's a risk. I, I don't know whether it will go, but a risk like honestly, when looking at the marginal seats, I am more concerned about labor seats than I am actually about the LNP seats. I think almost think labor has a better chance of flipping some than they do holding some of their seats, which is quite concerning. That's very interesting. And like I will say we're talking about like labor being at risk of losing these seats. Generally, the feeling is, and the polls support the idea that Labor will gain more traction this election. We've got 2019 syndrome here. Yeah, we do have 2019 syndrome. Fair, fair enough, you know. Like I think a lot of people do, but. You, if you had to place a bet, you'd say it, Labor's primary vote will probably increase. I in think Queensland. I think they probably will keep them. I think Griffith is a risk. I, I think it could go green, but uh, yeah. So if Labor wins seats, though, Nick, what seats are they? What seats are they trying to target here? So the main ones they're trying to target are Longman, Leichhardt, Dixon, and Brisbane. There's also lots of others after that, such as Ryan. Um, and the list goes on, but I would stick to those ones as yeah. the most marginal. Because four, also four seats, all Labor needs, all yep. Labor needs in Queensland. They but would be so happy if the margin that. Liberal holds them on is all more than the margins I just told you about Labor seats. They're high. They're like four percent, right? Three percent. Well, the lowest is Longman with thirty three point three percent, and so Longman's like north, so probably like what you might think like Jundalup, kind of like way up the top, um, and it's. Yeah, it's like a lot of retirees. It's up towards the Sunshine Coast, Bribey Island, Caboolture. Um, there's a mix of working class Labor, but then also, yeah, lib some Liberal voters. Um, it was Labor last in 2016. Uh, I think I, Longman's the seat, I think, had something to do with the whole uh, Dutton turfing Turnbull. Um, I think it was yeah. Longman. Yeah, Longman was in the news for a while, I remember. Yeah, um, but and it was in 2007, of course, as every seat went to Labor. Um but yeah, I there's a chance. I just don't know whether they'll lose enough from that working class kind of vote. I think Leichhardt, so um, Leichhardt's far north Queensland, so from Cairns all the way up to the tip, it's a big, big seat, is held by National uh, Warren Eng, and he's very popular. Um, I've got some friends on the ground there currently, and they're saying that there's a lot of public support for Warren, but I think... 
unpopularity for ScoMo. And you really can't understand. I mean, you guys, obviously, the tour of Indomissary has also been really hard hit over here. But far north Queensland's been absolutely pummeled by COVID because, you know, obviously there's other industries, but they rely so much on um, on tourism. Um, I've like the Cairns International Airport gets a huge amount of people coming in for the reef, uh, which is almost all dead. But um, <laughs> yeah, so um, like, uh, and it's I've got a bit of a contest too from Catter's party uh, from Rob Jensen, a former NFL player um, who's actually quite popular and pushing up. There's actually eleven candidates. It's why I got some of the most really? on any ballot paper. Wow. Um, I think the Cairns metro areas labour, um, and then I think a lot of the indigenous communities uh, have a higher labour vote. But then when you move out more into the country, which is obviously being, I think it's almost as big as Victoria or something. There's a lot of country, so um, that well, I don't think that will flip personally because I I do think Warrens is quite popular. But crazier things have happened. And then we come to Dixon, which is the seat of, I don't know, I I was trying to think of some way to introduce (laughs) him. Potato head. Yeah, Lord Voldemort, as I like to call him, Peter Dutton. Um, And so it's like a semi-rural area. I know you guys compared it to Porter's seat over here. Um, uh, It they thought was going to go last election. It was only on a 1.7% margin, but because of the ScoMo effect, it is now on a 4.6% margin. Um, and Ali France is running there who ran on the last election. So, again, don't know. Yeah, well, this is like an absolute best-case scenario for Labour if they flip Dixon because obviously Peter Dutton is such a high-profile figure in the coalition. You get rid of him. That's I, I would be cracking many beers oh. if we got to Dixon. Oh, that would, yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um, and the seat of Brisbane, right, as well? I know, personally, I think Brisbane is the best chance of flipping. It, even though it's on it's on a 4.9% margin, it's higher. It being in a city seat, similar to the seat of Perth, traditionally has been a Labor seat. However, due to lots of redistricting, um, now has a lot of those more uh, blue ribbon liberal kind of areas, which I'd say be similar to Mossman, Cottesloe, that kind of area. Um, Trevor Evans uh, is the member and he's a relative mo- pretty moderate liberal but has got stiff competition from both the Greens and Labor so similar to Griffith I think it'll be the kind and Morton the kind of thing of either the he, he can't lose any of his vote if he loses any of his vote it's likely it would flip to either Greens or Labor very interesting yeah I mean we'll keep a close eye on that I mean it's, it's such an interesting I mean battlefield right electoral battlefield what, uh, if you had to say, Nick, what are your like overall thoughts about Queensland in this election? Like, is it going to be a, do, do you think Labor will gain here or lose? I don't think they'll lose, but I, I'm not feeling full of hope. I feel more hope for, let's say, WA. Honestly, this point, when we started the election and like a few months ago, I was probably feeling more confident. I think in a city, Labor's definitely and the Greens have popularity. But does that factor of the Greens really concerns me for Labor's sake? I think, and in terms of regional Queensland, I, I, from what I've heard, I think a lot of people still have that kind of mindset of, we've never had a pandemic before. ScoMo's worked, you know, he's worked hard, he's protected us. I think people have started to forget the scroll out, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't think the hopes are great. I'm probably sounding way too negative. I think Brisbane could flip, and I wouldn't be surprised if Longman or Leichhardt did. Dixon, I would, as I said, be very surprised because it, it always they're always thinking it's going to Labor's going to get it, and they never do. But it's the same with Griffith. The Greens always say they're going to get Griffith, and they never do. So yeah, I mean, like talking so much about the Greens, and also what we haven't talked about, we mean Rob talked about a lot before, is the Teal Independence. Mm. 
it seems like a hung parliament is like a, a, a decent chance, you know? Uh, yeah. Or there's just a lot of different scenarios where you can imagine a hung parliament happening. And then maybe there's a few more Greens members now besides Adam Bant and like a bunch of Teal independents. You imagine that's going to be a Labour minority government. You'd think, right? So maybe that's the most likely outcome. I mean, I have no idea. It's just, it, it really depends. It, it's the thing where you just never know until it's election night. Um, and like foreseeably, as I said before, Labour wins nothing in Queensland, but they make gains there. They defend their seats against the Greens where it matters. They win in Tassie, in Victoria, in WA, and they actually can form government. So, Yeah, I I think my, my bet sister, I'm not, not that I'm predicting because I'm not in the predicting business, but I think a hung parliament is looking more and more likely just from these teal independents taking Liberal seats, um, not flipping to Labor, and then the Greens may pick up. Because Brisbane doesn't really have any of that teal movement. We really, we've got the Greens instead. Um, which is a bit strange. I, I think there's probably not enough of that. I know Rob's talked about this before, but in WA you've got these real blue blue ribbon kind of liberal seats and they do exist in Brisbane, but just because of districting, they're kind of all mushed together with more inner city working class areas. So we don't have as much of the teal movement, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Although they always say a hung parliament, they often call that Gillard one as one of the most productive. Yeah, chaotic, yeah. but good chaotic. So it wouldn't necessarily be the bad, a bad thing. Oh, yeah. Well, these, the major parties, are like, especially the coalition, are like, oh, it'll be chaos. You can't like vote in these independents. Like, that's obviously complete rubbish. But I mean, I think we'll finish it there. We're going to let Rob go to work, the working class man, as he often wants to say. But thanks so much Nick, for coming on. Really good insight there into probably the most important state this election. Um, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having me. And you'll have to come visit Queensland soon. Oh, mate, if if Queensland doesn't fuck us again, I will come visit Queensland. Uh, and if you want updates on the election, and next week we'll bring you more state analysis and more election analysis in general, you got to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Unrepresented Swill and on Twitter at Swill Podcast. And remember, we're live streaming election night, so everyone, everyone's tuned in for that. It'll be, as we've said before, either really fun uh, or really sad. So tune in to see which one it is. <laughs>